Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, we're going to talk about diet culture versus anti-diet culture. Hello, Nicole. What's up? Can you tell me what diet culture is? Oh, diet culture. This is a big one. Diet culture is basically the con. The oh my god. Just go. It's a toughie, but uh, let's let's do diet culture in your in your definition of you know. My definition of diet culture is basically the need to be thin. All right, and uh, it's kind of the thought that there's a culture around the need to be thin. Yeah. This whole now, like idea that thin is the only way to exist in the world. Now, in our world, diet culture is a little bit different, right? In the world that I see, people don't want to be thin. They want to be fit and muscular. Well, yeah, that's more in the fitness world. But I mean, if, if you asked, I guess, I guess that's different. I mean, yeah, I agree in the fitness industry, women want to be lean, I would say, that rather than they don't believe muscular is the same. You know, like if you ask a woman if she wants to get muscular, they usually will say, no, I just want to get lean. And I in their mind, lean. I want to be lean and toned. Yeah, exactly. But if you ask a woman, what does muscular look like? They're going to they're going to point to a guy and be like, well, I don't want to look like that muscular. I just want to yeah. be like female muscular. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which if you want to be female muscular, you want to be muscular. Right. There's no difference, really. You just want to be muscular. But I think diet culture perpetuates this need to be thin and having nothing to do with muscle. Yeah. And I think, you know that there's I, mean? a, I think there's a huge industry surrounded around this diet culture thing, right? There's right. supplement industry. There's, you know, you got bullshit supplements like raspberry ketones or Garcinia cambogia, which mm-hmm. I, I haven't heard the word Garcinia cambogia in a long time. Uh, and that was something that like even, even, you know, people like Dr. Oz will perpetuate this this thought of diet culture, like, hey, if you want to lose weight, and there was like no research on Garcinia Cambogia and weight loss that was actually promising whatsoever. And at the end of the day, I think what the issue with the thought of diet culture is, is that it perpetuates uh, negative behaviors, negative thought processes, right? And, and negative way of thinking about yourself. And I think that's what the issue is. Right. Uh, and, and the reason why I want to kind of structure this conversation around diet culture versus anti-diet culture is I think that there's been something that has been almost kind of birthed out of diet culture because diet culture was seen as something so radical and so negative and I want to lose weight so fast. Right. Um, I think the polar opposite has, has been happened. created. Yeah. Yep. And it's this anti-diet culture. And now you'll see all these people pop up all over Instagram that's like, anti-diet dietitian, intuitive mm-hmm. eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what, else, what else comes along with that? It's all of it. I think just the fact that you can eat whatever you want and still lose weight, like it's a, it's a bad thing to want to lose weight or change your body. Like there's nothing wrong with you looking in the mirror and being like, you know, I want to be better than what I am right now versus I want to be thinner than I am right now. Like there's a big difference between the two. I, I, I listen, I think the goal of any human being is to optimize and be your best self. Exactly. Right? And that's what we're talking about here. 
I kind of feel like with the diet culture versus anti-diet culture, it's, it almost seems to me like this like political argument, like it's left versus right and there's no in between. Yeah, that's exactly, I think also what happens with, with clients is they think it's an all or nothing approach. Either you need to be skinny to fit that, this, this picture image, body image, especially from a female standpoint, or if you're not thin, then that means you will go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and you're fat and you don't care about your body. Like there's, there's no in between for those two. Right. And I think the biggest, the biggest thing that I want to drive home with this episode is that there's, there's kind of an in-between there, right? So I want to go in a little bit about like uh, diet culture a little bit more. And I, I, I think part of the reason why we have this kind of radical shift in the industry and in the health, the wellness, the fitness industry, part of the reason why we have this radical shift is you've got things like Jillian Michaels' biggest loser, for example, perfect example of that. I want to drop weight so fast. And, right. and I mean, you're talking about people who are obese, mm-hmm. right? And then what that perpetuates is, A, it's, it sends the wrong message to me. Mm-hmm. And B, it allows for the opposite end of the spectrum to say, see, I told you this isn't healthy. You shouldn't strive for this. Exactly. Now, there was an interesting article from Harvard where they pointed out that they followed a few of these contestants mm-hmm. throughout the show and then after the show. And what they found even years later was that there were a few health ramifications to the rapid weight loss in these obese individuals. Mm-hmm. And two of the things that were important to note is if you're losing weight super, super rapidly, two things are going to happen. One, you're in a controlled environment where they're controlling your food intake, they're controlling your exercise, you're, you got people on top of you constantly. That's not sustainable when you go back into the real world. The second thing to note is their leptin levels mm-hmm. were reduced, so they were constantly hungry, always, because their lev- leptin levels plummeted during and after the show and never returned to normal which is dangerous. You're always hungry. And then the other piece to that was their thyroid. It took such a toll on their thyroid that the thyroid hormones are affected by that as well. And those are super low. So now you're talking about, I'm hungry all the time and I have a slow functioning metabolism because my thyroid has basically just gone to shit. Right. And I think that's what kind of pushes people in the polar opposite into anti-diet right now Mm -hmm. let's talk about anti-diet so anti-diet and i did a little digging into some research there's some research that dates back a while now for the thought process of healthy at every size yep and the thought behind that is you can be heavier and healthy absolutely and i i do agree with that and i'm going to say a couple things about that so the first thing that i when you say hold on when you say heavy What's the definition of heavy? Like, are we crossing into obesity being healthy at every size? Absolutely not. Um, Because with obesity, you run into things like uh, visceral fat creating, Mm -hmm. you know, being a contributing factor that we know to metabolic syndrome. So Mm -hmm. hypertension, hyperlipidemia, right? So your Mm -hmm. triglycerides are high, hypercholesterolemia, your your cholesterol is high, you've got inflammation Mm -hmm. in your body, uh, you increase your risk for cancers. So we're not uh, talking diabetes too. Yeah, right. and, and, and diabetes as well. We're, we're, so, but the issue that I'm seeing is you have that end of the spectrum mm-hmm. 
writing articles online advocating for this stuff and saying like, see, I can be healthy. And I'm like, no, you're eating junk food and you're obese. You're not right. healthy. Like I'm okay with you being a little bit on the heavier side and, and being happy, right? And if, being strong. And being strong. So, right? so, so the big thing for me is if I look at it from a health standpoint, I understand the side of the argument of mental health. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that definitely plays a role. And that's what you and I talk about in terms of the primary foods. Yeah. Right. Mental health is a huge piece to that. Yep. And you need to focus on your own well-being. So if you're dieting to the point where it's affecting your mental health and that's mm -hmm. all you think about all day. Yes, right. I will agree that that's not healthy. But the other side of the spectrum isn't healthy at all either. Correct. So what I'll say is there is a middle ground where you don't have to be so restrictive. If you want to have a cookie every once in a while, go ahead. But if your goal is weight loss, there's a way for you to fit certain snack foods mm -hmm. in your day and still maintain what the biggest thing is, is a caloric deficit. And I think there's this movement of telling people, you don't need to lose weight. You should be happy with your body now. And mm -hmm. the problem is, what if you're not? You can be a happy, functioning individual and still have goals and strive to make progress and say, you know what? I still do want to lose some weight. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is why I always say there's a difference between being on a diet and being in a caloric deficit. The whole diet concept is that you're in a deficit, but it's miserable and you feel horrible and your mental health is suffering and you're obsessed about everything that you're putting in your mouth. Like that's what correlates to diet culture is that it's wrapped up around this misery, you know, oh, you have to just suffer through it. Now, being in a caloric deficit is hard. That's the other end of this. It's, it's hard to be in a deficit. You're going to be hungry. There's going to be times where it's not easy. And I feel like that's also the myth that you're in a caloric deficit and it's like easy peasy and life is just great. And even if you sprinkle in some of the foods that you love, it's still going to be difficult. But sprinkling in the foods that you love makes it less hard. And so I feel like we've gotten so far in each end of the spectrum that everything that is in between, people tend to overlook. And now we have to find kind of a middle ground. You should be in a caloric deficit to change your body. It's okay to want to change your body. It's, you know, it's okay to have done diets before that didn't work and you learn about your body and you figure out what didn't work and now you become better and now you try different things. Like, it's also something that I'm seeing is like, especially on Instagram, poo-pooing that you've done a diet. Oh my God, that was so horrible. How could you have done that? No. What did you learn? What did you get out of doing that? Was there anything that you could take that's positive from maybe an experience that wasn't so quote unquote positive, right? So you can take all the things that you learned from doing diets and then create a better lifestyle as you move forward. And this is where you talk about intuitive eating. Like you have to have kind of gone through some of that to then become intuitive enough to create a better food plan. And Do you, you know had, what I'm saying? And, yeah. And you had to have done it in the right way too. You can't just, yeah. you know, so the, the healthy at every uh, size, you know, I read this, uh, this meta analysis where they basically essentially compiled like 65,000 individuals through all the studies. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all the points that they're trying to make, it's not like they're not valid. They're definitely valid points. But like some of the points for, you know, cases for osteoporosis, they looked at a bunch of different health parameters and different markers, right? Mm -hmm. And cases for osteoporosis, and they said, okay, well, 
they said young girls that in throughout adolescence were dieting and restricting themselves they had more they had more likely cases of osteoporosis and mm-hmm. they also said like just women in general who were either heavier or not heavier or whatever it is they also had higher cases of osteoporosis and i'm like well i mean of no course. shit they're malnourished yeah. they're malnourished you're not you're probably not getting vitamin d there was no data on whether or not they did any resistance training mm-hmm. right so radical things on either end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. it's going to be harmful to your health. And being radical in the other direction, like I, I don't really like the healthy at every size, quote unquote, terminology, because people can misconstrue that and say, Mm -hmm. I could be healthy at every size. I'm healthy. Look at my blood work now. I'm 25 years old. I'm obese and my blood work is fine. That's great. Right now. In 10, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, that is going to go south. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I read an interesting article uh, a couple weeks back about Canada. And Canada is now trying to kind of shift the dialogue with physicians from weight loss. You know how you go to a doctor, yeah. if you're heavier, the doctor will just say, hey, you need to get in some exercise and go on a diet, right? Mm-hmm. I first want to say that the word diet has a bad connotation, but yeah. essentially the word diet just means your, what is your diet made up of? What is, what is your typical day-to-day look, look like, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're eating cookies and cakes and you, know, you sprinkle in some chicken in there and, and you eat some vegetables, right? That's your diet. That's not being mm-hmm. on a diet. People just right. think of the word diet. And that's why you and I have had these discussions of like, I don't like to use the word diet because the word's kind of been ruined. Yeah, it's been destroyed. But now Canada, they were doing something interesting where they said, we no longer want to single out BMI and Mm -hmm. look at body mass index. So body mass index is based on an average of the population and it measures height and weight. And it says you should be this weight at this height, Mm -hmm. which in our industry, that doesn't really apply too well because it doesn't account for muscle. Right. For the average, when you have tons and tons of people in research and in studies, that's where it makes more sense because the more people you have grouped into that, the more accurate that measure might be. Mm-hmm. But Canada decided, hey, instead of using just looking at BMI and saying, hey, you're overweight based on your height, also let's look at health markers. Yeah. Now, I do think they're onto something and they're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But if you look at health markers of somebody who's obese in the obese category, according to their BMI, and you say, oh, well, you're healthy and send them off home. Mm-hmm. In 10, 15, 20 years, if they continue down that path, I think the conversation still needs to be about healthy lifestyle. And evolving in the way you live that lifestyle. Like we talk, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. What I did, what, how I ate and how I exercised in my 20s was very different than when I, what I ate and exercised in my 30s and now I'm in my 40s. And that's e- even more different than those two decades. So you have to allow for some um, flexibility in evolving the way your body changes, especially if you like take a couple years off, go back to school, and maybe you let go of your, your fitness and your food plan and you focus on something else. There's nothing wrong with that. You, you make that a priority and your exercise and food becomes secondary to that primary goal. That's part of our primary foods. That's going to happen and fluctuate throughout life. It, it has to have that flexibility and that continuum of how you evolve throughout your fitness and wellness goals. And that's why it's also important that, you know, the diet culture, this whole piece to body image is part of that 
as far as I'm concerned, females thinking they need to look like other females or have a body like someone else that, you know, they're paying attention to. My goodness. If you have a strong, um, if you have strong self-esteem, it doesn't matter what anybody else looks like. You're going to be comfortable in your own skin. And I think diet culture really tears down the self-esteem or really a lot of women that have poor self-esteem get really wrapped up in that diet culture mentality. Well, so you bring up a good point. Diet culture perpetuates a certain look that this is what you're supposed to look like. And what I tell people is I've had clients come in to me and say, bring in a picture of a girl in a magazine and say, I want to look like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you don't even have the body type of this woman. Right. So (laughs) I think what people need to look at realistically, and I think as coaches, you and I need to set the expectation for clients. Yes, right and out the, the gate. And the expectation is I'm going to help you in your journey to look like the best you, to feel like the best you, mm-hmm. to you know, practice daily habits that, that, the, that I can bring out of you that will be the best version of yourself. But you mm-hmm. can't look like another person. And I use this example. I used to throw around this example with a buddy of mine. If you look at swimmers, for example, and yeah. you look at, Michael Phelps, and you look at him and like the top three swimmers, Mm -hmm. they all have the same body type because genetically speaking, from a genetic standpoint, that's, they have the genes for the sport. Like for me, I'm not going to go and try and be a a Olympic, (laughs) Olympic gold medalist swimmer, swimmer, right? I'm going to try and look like the best version of myself. And what you'll notice with the lineup is with the Olympics, the top three guys always basically look the same. And then the lower placings on the bottom end, mm-hmm. they don't have the ideal genetics or body type. Yeah. Right. It's like somebody trying to do Tom Brady's diet and think they're going to perform like Tom Brady. Tom Brady is a genetic anomaly. <laughs> right? He's an outlier. You're so not going to perform like Tom Brady by eating like Tom Brady, just exactly. like you're not going to look like a woman in a magazine promoting like a supplement or eating a, or promoting yeah. a certain specific type of eating. You don't look like her. And the other thing that I like to set as an expectation is you're expecting that body tomorrow and you want to do a radical shift to look like that the next day. Mm-hmm. When you look at fitness models in magazines, chances are they've been doing it for 10 or 15 years and now they look like that. Yeah. And who knows if they're actually healthy, which we've also talked about in the past too, to, to do that photo shoot. But I think self-esteem is huge because a lot of my clients that come in and that come in to me and say, I want to look like her or that, I always just break it down because listen, when I wanted to do a bikini show, I looked through magazines. What was their physique like? Does it, do I, can I do that? In that sense, that's one way of kind of co- like comparing yourself, seeing if that's something doable. But it was more just because I was interested in how they got to that point. Like what was their hard work, dedication, and how do they get there? Not I want to look like that. And if I do what they do, I'll get there. I just wanted to look my best bikini body. And I wanted to know how they got there. So I don't think the curiosity is necessarily bad, but the comparing and wanting to look exactly like them is where that gets off. You should compare yourself to the best version of you. And if you don't feel like you're the best version of you right now, that's okay. And what I'll drive home from a self-esteem standpoint, and this is where I tell 
people if you are talking to yourself in a negative way, that first and foremost, you need to get, that's a bad habit. Yeah. And that perpetuates More. feeling bad about yourself. And if you feel bad about yourself, mentally, you're not in a good place. Yeah. Phrases like, I feel fat. Mm-hmm. Looking at foods as good or bad foods. Right. Looking at, I mean, listen, are some foods better than others from a nutrient standpoint? Yes. But looking at foods as a bad food that you can never ingest. Exactly. You're, you're limiting yourself. And the post that I just did on Instagram today, one of the things that I put into that post mm-hmm. was about the good and bad food thing. Yeah. Not focusing also on what you can't have, but focusing on what you can have. Yeah. So focus on what you're adding in. That's Mm -hmm. actually exactly what I posted. So (laughs) focusing on what you're adding and not what you're taking away and don't have that restrictive dialogue with yourself of, I can't have that because then Mm -hmm. you're going to want that. But I think the extreme of that on the anti-dietitian kind of, or the uh, the anti-diet culture piece is that it goes completely on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, I'm seeing stuff with like eat cookies, eat ice cream, eat chips and eat all this stuff. And I'm like, you got to still focus on, on good, healthy foods. Don't focus on uh, this is what I'm going to eat. Focus on what am I adding? That's going to be positive to my plan. Am I adding healthy proteins to every meal? Am I adding fruits and or vegetables with my meals? Am I eating Mm -hmm. more produce? Am I getting more fiber in? Am I logging in a journal so that I'm just conscious and aware? I don't think that a food journal should be such a negative thing. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, calling yourself fat. Uh, does this make me look fat? You know, talking about cheat meals and cheat days, you're cheating. It has a bad kind of connotation to it. Uh, we like to use the word refeed days Yeah. or, uh, days where you're cycling in and out certain things. Mm -hmm. And the cheat meal thing, I will say, I used to do it as a bodybuilder, like kind of before the time of doing, uh, you know, refeeds. calorie cycling and stuff like yeah. that and doing refeeds. Today, it's it's got a little bit more scientific merit. It's kind of looked at in a way where it's like, okay, let's refeed you on these days to boost your metabolism and it's all part of your plan. Yes, and it's about adherence too. It, we know that if you're prior, well, you keep using the words prioritizing, prioritizing nutrient-dense foods, right? So if, if 90% of your food or even 85% is all of those good quality things you just listed. And then the other 10 to 15% is some of the fun stuff that you love. Organic jelly beans that I love. You know, I'm not taking them out of my food plan. I'm are having they, them. Are they better? Is it better sugar because it's organic? <laughs> I just like the taste of them, to be quite honest with you. And they're actually cheaper. So that's the reason why I like them. Interesting. But what difference does it make? Like if you want regular jelly beans or not, it doesn't really matter. The goal is that you're, you're utilizing your nutrients for the positive and then sprinkling in some of the fun stuff so that the adherence of your program can be more long-term. You brought up the biggest loser. The reason why that's not sustainable is, first of all, they beat the shit out of them basically from a workout standpoint. And then they completely overhauled their food plan within like days. It's just so fast and so aggressive. We know that that doesn't work. It doesn't take a rocket science at this point in life to figure out that that's not the way to do it. But people still are trying to create that type of lifestyle change that fast. That's why we focus on long term. It's not even lifestyle change. I wouldn't even use no, that word then, right? It's you're, you're not changing habits and that's the most important thing. And you should yeah. think about it as a one step at a time. 
Yeah. This week, I'm going to get one workout in. Next week, I'm going to get two workouts in. Mm -hmm. The following week, I'm going to get three workouts in. I'm going to focus on adding protein to my meals. I'm going to focus on adding vegetables to my meals. I'm going to focus on accounting for my calories, Mm -hmm. right? And then you progress in that manner. And that's the way to do it. And you can still allow yourself some freedom. I tell clients all the time, if it's, you've been on the right track, they'll ask me. It's funny because they'll still ask me and I still give them the same answer. If clients that have been on track for a while, Mm -hmm. let's say they did like a three or four week stint where like they've been good, they've been strict, they've been, you know, following their plan like the way that they should. And then they're like, I'm going out to a barbecue. What should I do? And I'm like, (laughs) eat whatever you want. I don't care what you do because you're doing a great job. You're, you're losing weight. You're doing the work. You've developed some good habits. And I know, and I trust in you that one meal isn't going to spiral out of control. If I did have that dialogue and that conversation that was Mm -hmm. restrictive and I said, no, you absolutely can't do that. Then that's when it's going to snowball and go out of control. Right. Well, you know, I always tell my clients, you're going to be going to barbecues for like the rest of your life. So you better be able to trust yourself that you can go to a barbecue, enjoy some chips or whatever barbecue ribs, whatever you're eating, be confident that you can go and enjoy those foods and not feel like you have to run away every time there's a bowl, like a bowl of chips around you. Have some self-trust. You, you've got this. Enjoy a little bit. Get back on track the next day. You know, go back to your those habits that we've been working on and live life. This is the other thing. There's, there's a difference, but there's no difference between fat shaming and fit shaming. They're both one and the same, just at the different extremes. So telling someone that they can't really focus on a goal to get in shape or get stronger or feel fitter, whatever you want to call that, is no different than telling someone that they need to lose weight and they're out of shape and you know, they're not strong. They're, they're bookends and we want to get everybody closer to the middle There's a journey. Some people start at the end and feeling overweight and let themselves go and feel like they need to get in shape and they go all the way to the other extreme and they get to the fittest in their life and they feel great. Some people get halfway and some people go from being super fit, finding another goal in life and go back to the middle. You know, like that that marker can be moved in all different times in our life. There's nothing good or bad about it. It's just, you know, where you are and accepting where you need to go. Well, I mean, perfect example. You and I have done the radical because from a competitive standpoint, Mm -hmm. right? We've done the radical bodybuilding figure bikini stuff, right? So in in that sense, we've been there. And then you reevaluate at some point in your life. Like for myself, I'm like, Mm -hmm. all right, I'm not going to compete anymore. So what does that look like now? What does that look like now? I just want to feel good and I want to feel my best and I want to perform my best. Mm -hmm. I still want to be strong. And I want mental clarity. I think out of anything that to me, I I went a little while without getting in a workout because I got busy with work. And then I decided, okay, today I'm going to go for a workout. I'm going to hit a bike ride. And I felt so good that mental clarity that comes along with it and that mental wellness too. Mm -hmm. It's healthy for your mind to work out. And it's also healthy for your mind to give yourself a goal to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Something to strive for. Exactly. I, and, and all those goals change, right? Like, so when I danced, I was the thinnest I'd ever been in my life. I was like 98 pounds as a ballerina. And I performed at my best in that moment. Then I went from like 115 to 120 as a bikini competitor. And now I'm in my 40s and I'm like 125 to 130. I've been fit and healthy at each of those markers in life with whatever the goal was that I was achieving. 
you have to, you know, you have to evaluate what it is that you're looking to do and the reasons why you're doing them. Was there good and bad to each of those markers? Absolutely. But I wasn't miserable. I was really happy. And I learned so much about my body and my mental health and each of those three areas of my life that I wouldn't take any of them back. I feel like I'm the best now in terms of how I feel about myself and self-esteem and all of the things we're talking about now because I went through all of those different changes. So I feel like people just look at all this stuff as such a negative and you, you well, can't do that. You got to go through the change and, and experience it and get better and just have a positive outlook on it. There's also this, you brought up the shaming thing, right? And that's to me where I'm like, are we, are you, are we arguing politics here? Like people discriminating against each other. We don't want to be discriminated against in the culture. Right. And then, and then we're at a, almost like a kind of like a culture clash. And I'm like, I don't understand what the big issue is. You can be healthy and be in a place where you're comfortable in, in your body and in your skin. You know how many clients have come to me and they're like, I'm like, well, what is your goal and why is it your goal? And they're like, well, I, I don't, I don't feel like I look good naked or I, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm ashamed when I take my shirt off and I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, great. Like you don't feel great. I, I want you to feel good about yourself now. So we're going to practice some positive self dialogue, which is important. Right. But I also want you to be able to strive towards what you want. I don't want you to just forget about your goals and say, okay, well, I'm, I can be healthy at this size. So, you know, everything's all good. Yeah. But there's also a difference between the word, I want to feel better and I want to look better. Looking and feeling are two totally different things. So, you know, when, when clients come in and they say, I want to feel, I want to feel better with my shirt off. That's very different than I want to look better with my shirt off. And there's different ways that you can do that through your coaching experience. That's a really big differentiation that you want to really focus on with the, with the person that you're coaching or the client. Yeah. I, listen, I think on both ends of the spectrum, one of the biggest things that we want to focus on is health first. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where diet culture gets wrapped in. Diet culture is do anything you can to get the weight off and it doesn't have to be healthy. And, you know, we're trying to create long-term lifestyle change, positive mental health, a healthy body. Like that encompasses so much more than just the way you look, the way you feel. How do you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror? It's so empowering when you can look at yourself and go, today I did three more push-ups than I did last time and I can start to see some definition in my arms. Wow, that feels really good. You know, I went to a barbecue and I ate some chips and I felt fine. Those all wrap into that positive body image, self-esteem, and it's so empowering to feel good. Now, if losing a couple of pounds makes you feel better, there's no reason why you can't strive for that either. I also would add that I think part of human nature is we need goals and we need things to strive for and we need to constantly improve ourselves. It's just part of what humans need. Yeah, I, I, it's so empowering and it feels so good to reach a goal and, and achieve something and to strive for something, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, complacency to me is death. Yeah, it's just, it does get you. And the other piece to that too is uncertainty. Like we all have the goals, but the uncertainty of how we're going to get to those goals, I think is what confuses people. Also, you know? we, need, we need to focus on not the big goal. We need to focus on the day by day. And right. that goes for anything. That goes for life. That goes for business. That goes for mm -hmm. uh, nutrition, fitness. 
I have a goal of, let's say I want to deadlift 500 pounds and right now I'm at like 350, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about that goal of 500 pounds. I'm thinking about what am I lifting today and what am I doing day to day to get to that long-term goal? We need to break up those goals into small pieces. Yeah. You know, the biggest thing is, the biggest kind of takeaway for me is they're both radical and they're both almost seems like they're fighting with each other. And anti-diet research is basically kind of trying to look at, oh, well, it's unhealthy to diet, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, well, I mean, in what context are you looking at? Are we talking about radical shifts or are we talking about daily lifestyle changes? And I think Mm -hmm. that any good coach, listen, there's, I'm sure there's some great intuitive eating coaches out there that will preach the right things. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I see with intuitive eating is the thought of uh, keeping things in the house. For me, that doesn't work. That doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, and there was a book uh, by David Kessler called The End of Overeating. And one of the things that he brought up in the book is his thought process was the same as my thought process is if you have to inconvenience yourself to, to get those foods, you're probably not going to get them. Mm-hmm. I think a beginner level client, it's probably wise to not have those foods in your house. Mm-hmm. But if you do really want them that bad, then sure, go out to your local 7-Eleven or wherever you're going or your gas station or whatever and pick up a snack. I don't have a problem with that. I know that you're less likely to do it, but I'm also not restricting the conversation of saying, hey, you can not You can absolutely not have those things. Yeah. Well, and you can also work in, like the next step to that would be like a sampling, like have smaller portions of whatever those things are, keep them in the house and see how you do having them around and, you know, practicing. I'm going to have, I'll use popcorn as an example. I'm going to have popcorn in the house and I'm going to see how I do allowing myself to have that a couple of times a week and fitting it into my food plan and, and practice that idea of allowance. You know, there's a, there's, again, that's a whole spectrum too. Like I have clients that tell me the same thing. I can't have popcorn in the house because if I have it, I'll eat the whole bag. Okay. Well, let's take it out for a little bit and replace that with maybe some healthier snack options and see how you do. You still want the popcorn to your point and you go out and get it, then you have it. But I also have clients that I say, I want you to get popcorn. I want you to put one bag in the house. I want you to practice portioning it, portioning it out and, and allowing yourself to have it and not worrying about it. You know, all of these are stepping stones to creating a food plan that's going to work best for you. All of this is a practice. There's stepping stones to that as well. It depends on the person, the place um, that they're in mentally, their relationship with food, what their goals are. And so you know, we're talking about one extreme to the other, but that all that in between, there's so many ways that you can manage creating a healthy lifestyle. I love talking to clients about all this stuff because there's, there's lots of ways that they can figure this, that we can together as a team, I say this to my clients all the time, we're going to figure this out. We're going to find out what works best for you and still get your goals. So, you know, any takeaways are going to be like, don't beat yourself up you're not ruining your progress if you have things in the house that you love, but you got to know yourself too. And you ha- and as a coach, you ha- we have to know our clients and our job is to support them and help them and guide them. And most importantly, to educate them on the way they eat, how they feel, what you know steps and habits they need to take to get to their goals. And if we can do those things together from client and coach, then I mean, many people achieve amazing things in life 
you know, so it's absolutely possible. And that's the other thing too, when you talk about diet culture is the reason why a lot of these clients go for these extreme diets and measures to lose weight is because there's a disbelief that if they do it the slow and steady way, they don't, they're they don't never going to the get there. They don't yeah, trust they're the never going to be able to. That's impossible, Nicole. I can't possibly keep popcorn in the house and lose weight. I disagree. You absolutely yeah, can. Yeah. And I'm going to help you to do that. What I tell, uh, what I've, well, one of the things that I have told clients a lot is they're like, what do I do when I'm craving this? And I'm like, well, eat a meal first. And if you're still craving it, then eat it. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, they're not craving it anymore. So yeah. there's, there's that thought around, well, focus on your real foods, your whole foods first. Mm-hmm. And then because these things aren't a replacement for real food. Right. Right. So your processed, refined stuff, they can have its place for your enjoyment. Mm-hmm. But if, if you haven't had a meal and you go and reach for the cookies, you're yeah, more exactly. likely to eat more than you should. Yep. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, I mean, that's it. I, I think a few takeaways, Nicole, you want to give me some takeaways to the proper way to approach a a weight loss plan or a fat loss plan, or, you know, even I, you know, I want to put on muscle. What are some key takeaways that we can talk about from the perspective of kind of being in the middle, not having to be radical on either Mm -hmm. side? It's going to be slow. It's, you have to be consistent. You have to learn to trust yourself and build a healthy relationship around food. You need to be able to get your work. And a healthy relationship with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You have to lift weights. Okay. You have to do cardio. You, you want to have a healthy mind body connection. So there's got to be some de-stressing, maybe some yoga, maybe some, you know, a calm app. Like one of the, my biggest pet peeves with clients is that they only do one of like the 10 things that they think that, you know, one of the 10 things that you give them to do. And they're like, this isn't working. (laughs) You need to do all 10. Now, they may not all happen at the same time. You may need to layer in those habits and build on those practices, but you have to be kind to yourself while you're doing it. And you have to be confident that this is what I'm doing. Set your mind to it. And honestly, put your big girl panties on and get some shit done. Just get it done. And don't be afraid of certain things. That's what I'm going to add there too. I, how many clients have you had that come in and they're like, I'm scared to eat a carb. I won't, I don't want to eat a carb. Or right? I don't want to write things down because I don't want to know. I don't want to look at the calories. Yeah. You've L- got listen, to educate yourself. There's, there's a, a middle ground between I'm writing things down and I'm obsessed with everything. Right. And then the flip side of I'm not accounting for anything at all. And I'm just kind of going Guessing. around life and just eating and consuming things. Mm-hmm. So, and the other thing is too, is there, there's a fear, right? So the fear that I talk about is I've had times where I've had to be like, all right, with clients, all right, so you're afraid of carbohydrates, even though you have no knowledge about how the human body works. And I'm telling you how the human body works, but you still don't trust the process yet. So mm-hmm. let's do this. I want you to eat 50 grams of carbs a day. For yeah, a let's week. work our way up. <laughs> let's start there, right? And if you don't gain weight, I'm going to add 20 more grams of carbs. And if you yeah. don't gain weight, then I'm going to get you up to a baseline where, and then they're like, oh my God, I feel so good. I've, I've yeah. been avoiding carbohydrates and I haven't been fueling my brain because your brain, unless you're doing a ketogenic diet and your brain is functioning fat. on ketones, your brain will primarily function off of glucose. Yeah. How's it going to get that glucose? It's going to get it from carbohydrate intake. Yeah. 
if your brain is kind of like a glucose hog, it wants that, it wants carbs and sugars first over any other part of your body. Mm-hmm. Your brain needs to be fed. If you're not feeding your body carbohydrates, mm-hmm. well, where's the sugar going to come from? It's going to come from protein. Your body's going to break down muscle and you don't want to lose muscle. You want to raise your met- resting metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day that, you know, like you said, the key takeaways are you just got to focus one step at a time, one habit at a time. Mm-hmm. And you have to focus on, you have to think about the big goal. It's in the back of your mind. You mm-hmm. will achieve it. But then there's also this piece where there's lack of patience. Like you've been living yeah. in your body for 30, 40 years, and now you come to me and you want to lose weight overnight. And it's like, well, what's another year of this journey of your entire life? Mm-hmm. It's literally one year to set you up for the rest of your life. Because right. if you lose that weight in a radical way and you do it over the course of one, two, or three months, you're going to be months ahead of time, more than likely, you're going to be right in the same spot and you're going to be like, oh shit. And then you're going to have this negative connotation towards certain foods mm-hmm. or diet culture and you're going to say, fuck it. And then you're going to go on the complete other end of the spectrum and you're going to mm-hmm. say, I, you know what? I'm happy with my body. When in reality, you're not. Yeah. You yeah. haven't been. And it's okay to do it in a slow, progressive manner. That's what you need to focus on. Building those habits is the single most important thing to long-term lifetime success. And I will also add to that, those habits are not going to be the same as everybody else's. When we talk about like the comparison trap about looking like someone else, it's also the same when it comes to the way someone eats, the way someone exercises, the amount of sleep they need. All of those factors are going to be individualized to you as that person. So stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Stop worrying about what your friend Susan ate or, you know, that she intermittent fasts or whatever it is that she's doing. Focus on yourself. Look at yourself. Look at your progress pictures, your strength, all of the things that are going to make you better. And never mind what everybody else is doing because you're just delaying your success when you're focusing on what everyone else is doing. So to your, to your point, bodies are not made the same. It's not one size fits all. Not everybody can achieve the same body. You're going to have genetic variances. And nutrition isn't one size fits all either. Exactly. What you can comply with in the long term is going to be the most important thing. And yes. are there some people that can apply with a ketogenic, that, that can comply with a ketogenic diet that for for the long haul and they feel good doing it yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. are there people that do intermittent fasting and they feel good doing it and they can comply with that yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. are there people that eat moderate carbohydrates and just kind of eat in the 40 30 30 that we always talk about and they're good and they're good there yeah absolutely i'm one of those people right i've done i've done a ketogenic diet i've kind of by default in during covid done uh intermittent (laughs) fasting just because i just didn't eat when i woke up right away but yeah for me, the most sustainable is, hey, I'm just going to eat right now because I'm not bodybuilding anymore. It used to be six meals a day. Now it's four meals a day. And that's what's Mm -hmm. sustainable for me at this point in my life. So you have to look at yourself as an individual and say, well, I'm not going to do this because my friend's doing it. I'm going to do it because this is what I can stick to for the long run. And it makes me feel good. And it it, it drives results for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just good in that place. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. You don't have to jump on the next biggest fed. And I think that's part of diet culture is exactly. Oh, keto is hot. And everybody looks at keto like it's something like new and innovative. I'm like, dude, (laughs) keto, keto was around since Hippocrates in like 500 BC. Like 
I, keto was created for epilepsy before Jesus was born. So, <laughs> you know, in, in that sense, it's it, none of these things are new and innovative. And the other piece that I'm going to say is caloric deficits, mm-hmm. ketogenic diets, intermittent fasting, all of these things can produce more or less the same environment in your body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people look at, oh, well, my, my blood lipid profile got better on keto. So I'm just going to do that. But that's not the only way to get there. Yeah. Right. Ultimately, uh, what we find is that weight loss leads to positive health markers Mm -hmm. and getting in your nutrients leads to positive health markers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Consuming less refined sugar, also consuming less refined seed oils, uh, Mm -hmm. which comes along with processed foods, because if we're eating too much processed food, we're eating too much refined seed oils, which are going to be like we talked about with Dr. Applebaum. Yeah. Be very high in omega-6 fatty acids, which are going to create that off balance of those polyunsaturated fatty acids. And mm-hmm. that's what's going to drive more inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just being conscious and aware of things and your blood work works itself out. You don't have to do a radical shift or do what your friend is doing. You have to do what's going to work for you in the long run. Yeah, exactly. I think I just beat that horse to death. Yeah, <laughs> That's okay. It's worth beating. <laughs> oh. So ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe give us five stars and comments and you'll hear us next week. Bye.